Hey everyone, welcome to my podcast. This is Amy Austin and I am your host with Sex with Amy Austin and I am so excited uh, to be kicking off my first podcast. Um, first, I want to say thank you to you all from my fans, new and old that have been following my career on and off for the last 15 years. Um, I've had an outpour of support in the last few weeks about um, closing my retirement and getting back into the industry. And so I just want to say a huge thank you. I've been overwhelmed with gratitude with all the love and outpour of support from friends, family, strangers, and as I said, new fans and old fans. Um, it doesn't go unnoticed. So we are kicking off first podcast and we will be doing this weekly. Yes, Joe. Weekly sounds good. Whatever weekly, you're ready for. Like Joe. Everyone yeah. say hello to Joe. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Um, he's the brains in this operation. <laughs> and so um, we're super excited. Uh, the podcast is going to cover everything from sexual health, um, sex education. We're going to talk about toys. We're going to talk about porn, obviously. We're going to um, just do the whole gamut from front to back. And hopefully it will be something that um, will maybe teach you a few things or help you to understand a few things, but ultimately will blow the fucking doors off your sex life and help you to lead more fulfilling and satisfying um, sex lives, whether it's, you know, you're trying to improve your marriage or you're trying to improve, you know, your solo sex situation, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, I hope that you enjoy the podcast and yeah, I guess we'll just jump in it, huh? So my name is Amy Austin, as I said. Some of you guys followed my uh, career back um, when I was like 18. I was very young. Um, I was going under the stage name Demi Marks then. And um, I took a hiatus and decided and tried a couple different things. Um, I went to hair school. I went to nursing school. And I just found myself, you know, back in the industry. This is the industry that I love, um, that I feel the most alive. And um, my career was before was kind of, you know, where I was. But um, this is definitely who I am. So we or I am really excited about uh, jumping off um, back into the industry again, um, touching base with fans I've known that have, like I said, that I've followed my career forever. Um, I've been getting some really awesome <laughs> emails just about um, when you first, you know, were in touch with my career before and just the excitement and stuff of me coming back. So it makes me super excited and there's just so much fun uh, that's coming up. So let's, I guess I'm going to try and just give a little bit of a backstory as to how I found myself in the porn industry to begin with, um, where my life kind of went when I took my break and all the fun, juicy details in between. Um, I got started um, doing video when I was uh, just barely 18. Um, I had just got out of a Southern Baptist girls school um, in Corpus Christi in Texas, and um, I was actually a runaway. So I came home to a very toxic home situation and decided that um, I didn't want to be there anymore. And I was willing to try and navigate the big wide world all on my own, um, regardless of what that would entail. And I kind of struck out on my own. And that led me into um, exotic dancing. And so I went, um, I started, I actually, I think I had a big idea. Can I say that? I think I'm like, can I say that? I started dancing um, for private bachelor parties, which this is actually a really funny side story. So I had this huge crush on this guy when I was like younger. He was like my friend's big brother. And um, he was like, I don't know, probably like four or five years older than me at the time. And I should say his name, but I'm not going to because I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. So <laughs> no first name. <laughs> no, because everybody will know. Everyone that knows me will know. Oh, I got you, got you. So, and he's married now. So, and I met him at his bachelor party. So, we'll just leave it at that. So, um, or I should say, we reconnected at his bachelor party. So, um, yeah. So, I started dancing and I was doing private bachelor parties. And um, anyway, I walked into this house. It was like my literally my first one. And it was his bachelor party. And. <laughs> And um, these private bachelor parties that I was stripping at, it was like the worst setup ever. 
<laughs> because it'd be basically like a room of guys and it was just like someone's house, you know, it would just be like a random house or something like that. Like I remember, I'm not even, that's a whole other been episode. Been one or two of those. Yeah. Been <laughs> <laughs> one or two of those where the, the dancer shows up. I was like, ding dong. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I ended up dancing for him and um, everybody knew that we had grown up together. We kind of knew mutual people. And so they were like, oh, this is his last night being single, you know, this, this, and this. And generally, I'm not that type of person. Like, I don't go chasing after people's husbands or boyfriends and stuff. I mean, there's enough men out there to go around, you know what sure. I mean? Um, but because I had this longstanding elementary crush on this guy, <laughs> I figured it was fate, <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> And um, we were both absolutely intoxicated. Like, I don't remember a lick of it. But, um, yeah, so that happened. And then I, I remember I did a um, a private party in, like, this super small, like, two-stoplight town. And I literally had to walk through um, chicken coops in the backyard <laughs> <laughs> to get to, like, this... I guess it was supposed to be like the man cave that they had, but it was seriously. Do you show up like by yourself at one of these places? Oh yeah, like I was to no, I was no. totally on my own. So, and that was the thing too, is I was thinking about it over the last you know few weeks. I'm like, I must have a rabbit's foot straight up my ass because <laughs> honestly, the situations, you know what I mean. I was like, oh, and I can handle myself really well. You know, I yeah. do. Um, I just, I, you know, I just always have, like, I know how to watch out for myself and make sure I take, you know, certain precautions and stuff to equip myself with the things that I need in case I run into a situation. Mm -hmm. But still, I was very 18 and very naive, you know, and I had just got off of a farm, you know what I mean, where I was just surrounded with girls and stuff. But I think that was the big um you know, my whole survival instinct, it was like my hunger for survival at that time was kind of out weighing logic <laughs> sometimes, sure. you know? So um, anyway, so I scraped up a, you know, just enough money um, to take off to LA. And I'd actually never even been to LA before. Um, and I'm not really sure other than, oh, excuse me, drinking whiskey. The, um, the only thing that um, really drew me to L.A. was the fact that I always wanted to be in Playboy. And I guess the whole idea of like Hollywood is kind of what, you know, I why I gravitated that way. Um, I'm from Northern California originally, so it was also not a trek across the United States. It was like a three and a half hour drive. Um, so I actually ran out to L.A., and I realized that when I got there that I didn't have anywhere to live, you know, and I decided to actually um, get accepted into an art school that I knew offered student housing. And so I remember buying a notepad from like a CVS or something, and I spent like 30 minutes in a parking lot in a rental car that I had, right, like drawing up this fake portfolio for this fashion design school in LA. And um, I called them and I was like, yeah, I'd like to apply. And they're like, okay, come by tomorrow. Like, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah for an interview. And I'm like, okay, great. So the next day I walked in and met the admissions counselor there and she looked through my book and she was like, okay, yeah, well, we would like to offer you, you know, a spot here at the school and all this. So I'm like, okay, awesome. And I'm like, you guys have dorms, right? And she's like, yeah, and you can, you know, live in the dorm and stuff. Mm. But I had to close financial aid first. So that actually did not work out in my favor um, just due to the home life situation I was coming from. I didn't actually qualify for aid, which was actually really surprising at the time because I grew up poor, you would like think really this poor. Would before, kind of to help people. Yeah. Right. So, but I think it's because my mom was on permanent disability for, since I was a young, um, from a situation, a medical situation that she had brought upon herself. But, um, yeah. And because of that, because she was getting disability, I didn't qualify and I was considered a dependent of hers until I was 24. 
So mm. until then, and at that time I was only like 18. So long story short, that school didn't work out. And so I actually um, got accepted at another school and somehow made it through the financial aid process there, which later turned out to be a total scam. <laughs> So I moved into student housing, and at this time, by the time I got to LA, I actually had transitioned into club dancing. So the first club I ever danced at in LA was called Platinum Rain, and it was the smallest club to date that I've ever been in. <laughs> it literally was like, a, I don't know, it was just so small. It was just so super small. There was like one stage in the middle of the room, and I mean, I mean, this whole place was probably like 2,500 square feet, 3,000 square feet. Wow. Like it was not big. There was like one bar in the corner. It was super seedy. <laughs> <laughs> um, they just had a big open room in the back room that was like the girls locker room. But there was like no, you know, there was nowhere to put makeup or anything. Like everyone's bags were on the floor. And wow. we had like one stand up mirror and we'd have to like take turns in the mirror to like see what we looked like. How many like girls whatever. are in a place like this? Um, there was probably like 20, oh, wow. 20 or 30 girls. Okay. And, um, you know, and the thing that's crazy is I was totally on my own, you know? So, and over the course, I mean, I ended up dancing pretty much through my whole career and, um, there's just a culture that's like within the strip club, you know, and the girls that are the real sharks or the real hustlers, they're not looking to take you under their wing and teach you the ways of the ropes. You're you know what I mean? Right? Yeah. You're a competitor. Like she's not going to take food out of her mouth. You know, yeah. it's just, you know, and a lot of the girls, I mean, I have the utmost respect for dancers. I really do. I mean, dancing is tough work and um, I've made some really good lifelong friends from dancing but at the end of the day, a lot of us come from the same backgrounds and sure. we're, it's like a survival pit, you know? And so, um, but I actually ended up meeting one girl that was there and she was actually a mail order bride. And <laughs> this is true. Is that a real thing? I didn't even know that was Yeah. And she was from like Korea maybe or Japan. And um, she was dating this guy that was actually a intern um at UCLA and I can't remember his name which is fine because it's like less information the better but uh I ended up running a room from them and it was like something astronomical like it was like this one little one you know one bedroom or two bedroom apartment and I rented one bedroom from them in um Brentwood and it was like $1,200 a month or something like way beyond what I could afford because I wasn't making any like a fuck worth of money dancing no no, because I was so shy. Like, I was so shy and I was so, I just didn't understand the hustle. I didn't get it. Sure. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. like, okay, I can dance. But, and two, I didn't have a whole lot of male interaction at that point because I had been in, locked up in this girl's school. Mm -hmm. And um, so when I was dancing at Platinum Marine and I was going to the second school that had, you know, accepted me in over there, called like AIU. Um, and it was this, like maybe like a secondary art school, if that makes any sense. Like they're not like a major mm -hmm. art school. Okay. And the guy, basically they were running some sort of like financial aid scam, which is why I got approved. And so me and the two other girls that I was living with in our student housing over the course of a week, we all got kicked out of student housing. And they were like, you basically have a week to give us X amount of dollars for tuition. And I think at this point I'd only been to like two classes. <laughs> By the time I made it through registration and everything. And so they were like, well, you have a week to like get out of student housing or we're going to lock the door on your guys' apartment and everything you have inside is ours, like property. Wow. So, and I remember going down to the school to try to figure out what was going on. And I was standing in the elevator. Now, keep in mind, I was dancing all night at this point. So I was dancing all night and then I was trying to go to school and I was in the elevator and the guy then my admissions counselor, I wish I could remember his name because I would out that motherfucker right <laughs> yeah, right. now. He deserves, it. he deserves it. He was a total D-bag. And I remember we were standing in the, in the elevator together and he goes, um, he's like, yeah, well, what do you do for work? And I told him, I'm like, I'm a dancer. And he goes, oh, yeah. He's like, where do you dance at? 
And I said, I dance at Platinum Rain in LA. And he put his hand in his pocket and he like jiggled around the coins in his pocket. And he's like, well, I have some change I could probably throw your way. (laughs) And then like literally the next day I got kicked out of school. (laughs) I was like, you SOB. So, um, anyway, karma's a bitch. Yeah. Yeah, So, um, when I, but what was really cool about this club, first of all, it was the first club. So, you know, especially as a dancer and being an adult entertainer, like when you have these first, you never forget them, you know? How do you, how do you get the first job? Like, how do you just show up and they're like, okay, you're hired. Like what's the, what's that process of getting a job? Like at a club? Yeah. Um, well some people, so sometimes they do it differently. Like some clubs will do like an amateur night and you show up for amateur night, which is usually a lot of fun. Sure. And the girls will have like a $300 pot or a $500 pot. And what they do is they kind of just like, parade the girls on stage and then they can do a song and then you know based on like audience applause and stuff like that they'll um, decide who the winner is and that girl will get a cash prize okay and then they'll offer her a job but a lot of times i mean if there's talent already in the lineup then sure once the contest is done they'll be like okay if you want to work here you know you can work and if not then you know whatever gotcha and i never did well with those things no no yeah i just yeah. And I don't know. I just didn't do well with those things. But um, now in Vegas, it was different because like when I was dancing in Vegas, you show up and you audition. And a lot of times, um, like I danced at the Spearmint Rhino in Vegas and Spearmint Rhino was pretty much my home club. Um, I tried a couple different clubs, but there's just Spearmint Rhino's, you know, now, I mean, and even then, I mean, there was like Sapphires and some other, you know, bigger name clubs, but um, I mean, the traffic and stuff that was coming through the Rhino, um, you know, night shift, day shift or whatever, which just couldn't be matched. I yeah. mean, the Rhino on a Friday, Saturday night runs like 300 girls. You oh. know what I mean? That flying in from all over the country to dance right. that right. club, you know? Yeah. So, um, and there, you know, I just walked in and at the time when I started dancing at the Rhino in Vegas, I mean, this is some years later, but my um, best friend at the time was the cocktail manager or supervisor there. And so I, you know, just came in the club and I did a couple dances on stage. And at this time I already had a name and adult and stuff. So sure, it, it was wasn't, a little bit different. it was a little bit different. Yeah. I had earned my stripes, <laughs> you know? So, um, but yeah, so, you know, but when I was working, so when I was dancing at Platinum Rain, one cool thing was that I remember there was a guy that, uh, was a bouncer there and his name was Babalu and he was like straight out of Brazil. He was a uh, cage fighter or UFC fighter. And um, like 10 years later, I was um, working in Vegas and I was cocktailing at the time and dancing. And I saw him on TV for a big UFC fight. Well, when I was working at Platinum Rain, he would walk me to my car every night and he didn't speak a lick of English. It was like all Portuguese because he was Brazilian. Okay. But he had actually learned from another bouncer how to say or try to say, like, can I take you to dinner or like whatever. And he so he walked me to my car every night and be like, I take you dinner. I take you dinner. And at first, the first night he walked me to my car, he's like, I take you dinner. And I'm like, take me dinner where? <laughs> you have dinner now? Like, I was so confused. But anyway, but it was cool to see, you know, it was just funny, like. Like a different lifetime, you know what I mean? And then 10 years later, it's like, I'm in Vegas and he's in Vegas fighting and it's just like the world's so small world, you know? So, um, yeah, so I was working, you know, and then I started, so the Spearmint Rhino and City of Industry was actually my second club. So at that time I had gotten kicked out of, uh, I've been kicked out of that school and I was kind of, I ended up renting a room from a girl I met at the club. Her husband or boyfriend or, yeah, I guess her husband, because she was a mail order bride, was an intern at UCLA. And um, turns out they were kind of like twacked on meth, which is not this, it's not my thing. So I ended up um, moving out and I did a little bit of couch surfing. I actually rented a room in East LA, um, right outside of Compton from a Vietnamese couple that were like first generation from Vietnam. 
and lived very traditionally. And they rented me like half of their house for like $500 or something. And um, yeah, and they were awesome. Um, And from there, I, I wasn't making any money. Like I was seriously, it was ridiculous. I wasn't making any money as a dancer. Like I was barely making enough to cover my stage fees, my house fees. And I was just so incredibly awkward and shy. And I just, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know what I was doing. I was blanking. Like I had to be the worst stripper ever. <laughs> like I was losing far more money than I was making at that time. And so um, I ended up answering an ad in the paper. So I was like literally down to, I don't know, my last 20 bucks. And I went searching through the classifieds in an LA paper. And I was just, I don't even know what I was looking for. I was just like looking. And I found that this, um, there was kind of like a, a model call thing kind of in a way. Or it's like, oh, we're looking for attractive females to work for us like full training and we'll provide housing and all this stuff right so that turned out to be some cockamamie situation of some like old money guy that was trying to be like a glorified pimp (laughs) and he had this girl who had basically answered the ad before me so when I met them we met at a BJ's in like Woodland Hills in Ventura or something in California. And uh, when I met them, she was definitely playing the role like his, like I thought they were together, together for like whatever. Uh And obviously like over the course of the next few weeks, I realized like they had met like three days before this. So at that time, um, I'm pretty sure, and I was, like I said, I was incredibly naive. Like when I was younger, I still can be pretty naive about things. Um, I try not to be, I think I've, you know, I'm pretty street smart at this point, but I definitely have a side of me where I want to believe the good in people. So I always give them the benefit of the doubt out the gate. And then later I start to put shit together and I'm like, wait a second, this doesn't. Really add up. So um, long story short, we were there with this guy and I'm pretty sure she was escorting. And but I kind of was just like tagging along with her and she would take me on these drives like at night and we would park in front of somebody's house and she would leave me in the car. And she told me that she was like a massage therapist, which now obviously, <laughs> obviously like maybe, maybe, you know, um, and, uh, so I would wait in the car and I remember, and it's so weird, but I was thinking about this the other day and I would sit in the car and I was like scared. Like I'm by myself. It's dark. I don't know where I am. And little did I realize like what was really going on, you know what I mean? And here I am like in some sketch ass situation, just like totally not aware, you know, but still surviving. I'm still making it you know, somehow. Yeah. Right. So needless to say, that situation burned out very quickly. Um, this guy was actually taking her money and, you know, I've always been naive, but headstrong and super mouthy. And I was like, why the fuck are you giving this old guy all your money? Like, we're going out at night. Like, he was would take the money from her, and then he would, like, you know, like, breadcrumb us. You know what I mean? Like, here's a little money to eat, or here's this, or whatever he was doing. Like I said, he thought he was a glorified pimp. Wow. So um, she was like, okay, you're right. Well, let's leave. So we took off and we left and we ended up staying in a um, extended stay in Huntington Beach. And we were living in this hotel and she actually had this sugar daddy from Vegas that was like paying for us to live in this hotel for like a few weeks. So at the time we were living in this extended stay in Huntington Beach and I was fucking broker than a joke. Like I had no money. She was going across town in Huntington and hooking up with this like drug dealer boyfriend she had which was all bad. And once again, like, um, my home situation growing up was very, I had like two parents that were career drug addicts. Um, my dad overdosed on heroin when I was 17. Um, that was the whole reason why I came home from school. I just watching that deterioration and firsthand, like as a child and how it completely had affected 
my entire life. I just wasn't really, I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, and now that's not to say like, I'm some kind of saint, like I've experimented. I lived in Vegas for eight years. Like I smoke pot now, like, you know, so it's all good. It's just, I think that it's more of like a healthy fear. You know, sure. um, I like to party with the best of them. I mean, fuck, I'm a porn star. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, but um, it just, I just had a, a healthy fear of it. And so I tried to navigate myself away from it when I was aware of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so she actually knew a photographer um, that lived right across the street in Santa Monica off the beach. And she's like, hey, she's like, I know a guy that will pay us money to take pictures together, like hooking up. And I was like, hooking up with who? And she's like, hooking up together like you and me. And I was like, oh, fuck, that's so easy, you know, which is crazy because you would think, you know, I thought I couldn't dance and I was really shy about that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was sexually active at a very, very young age. And I actually learned in therapy a few years ago that due to the the innocent nature in which I was exposed to sex at a young age, because I was exposed to sex with another child that was my age. Um, and I actually learned in therapy, unfortunately, that child was sexually active because that child was being molested probably. And so they, he was just acting out playtime as it had been introduced to him. And I remember it like it happened yesterday, like the situation. Um, I was like six. It was like in the backyard of my parents' house. My mom was like very disconnected. So she didn't really keep an eye on me and stuff. And anyway, and it was, you know, total, I mean, it wasn't like some full on, fucking. you know what I mean? You were six years old, but you know, there was definitely penetration there. It was definitely like, I mean, yeah. And, you know, when I told my therapist about this, the look of shock (laughs) on her face and I, and I was just like, what? And she's like, the fact that you were introduced to penetration sex by another child, is just mind blowing. She goes, but it makes so much sense as to why you're wired sexually the way that you are, because this was your first experience with sex and it wasn't something that was intrusive and it wasn't something that was like a violent traumatic experience per se. She goes, even though it's, it's considered trauma, no matter what, because you were a child and like you weren't ready to whatever to deal with something like that. But, um, and you know, over the course of me, you know, getting a little bit older, sex was a huge part of my life. Like in fifth grade, I had a best girlfriend and we were fully hooking up. Like I was, we were fully hooking up like on the weekends. I mean, we hooked up for like a year and a half. I mean, and, and then what's crazy is in that situation also. So this is the second time, this is the second time I'm introduced to sex and I'm in fifth grade and she came on to me and literally, this is no lie, had me lay down like, I didn't know what was going on. First of all, I didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And her parents had this big two-story, her grandparents, she lived with her grandparents. And she had this big, beautiful two-story house out in the country. And we were upstairs in her room. And she's like, I want you to lay in between the bed and the wall. And I was like, that's <laughs> fucking weird. <laughs> right? Very precise. And I'm just like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, and she goes, but I want you to lay on your stomach. And I was like, okay. Like totally naive, just dumb. Right. (laughs) Like didn't even question it. Just like, okay. Yeah. Which I've learned, you know, I'm quite submissive in nature. (laughs) That hasn't changed. So, um, I did. And she literally stuck her tongue right in my ass. (laughs) That's a true story. I swear. Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what just happened? And, and I really don't know how things progressed after that, but it definitely progressed. I mean, like mm-hmm. we were full on like the oral sex and everything. And we were like fifth grade, yeah. I mean, sixth grade. So once again, here I am again with somebody that I trust yeah. and there were the same age. Right. And it's not something, you know, I get asked this a lot from people that are interested about the, the adult industry and they're like, oh, you know, most of the girls have been, you know, sexually abused. And these are girls that, you know, 
you know, come from very destructive, broken home situations. And I'll be the first one to admit, I definitely came from a broken home situation. And although I'm naive, I'm no fool, you know, and luckily, um, in some ways it sounds crazy to say it. I mean, you know, I think obviously the more fortunate circumstance would have been that I wouldn't have had these experiences until I was ready, you know, but it's totally, it's made me who I am. And I'm grateful that the experiences that I have weren't intrusive or abusive. And I think that there is a lot of women that are in the industry that have not been sexually abused. They're just free spirited and they enjoy sex. And, um, over time, obviously as I matured, I kind of, you know, I don't know. And it's crazy because I look back on it now and I think about like, I was fucking boy crazy as hell when I was a kid. I mean, I remember, like, I only went to school to see boys. <laughs> so I went to school. And I remember my grandmother, who was, like, Southern, and she always told me two pieces of advice. They're still the two most golden pieces of advice I've ever received. Save your money and stay away from boys. <laughs> because if you have all your own money, then you don't need them. Right. And, you know, and I didn't do either. I didn't save a lick of my money. <laughs> and I always chased boys. So, um, and I'm still that way. I'm totally boy crazy, like, I just am. I don't know. I think I maybe because of that. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I just am like I. Yeah, it's bad. It's it's bad. I was joking with a friend the other day because we were talking about like creeping on people. Uh-huh. And I'm like, when I get fixated, like if I see a, a guy in a bar or something and I'm like, Ugh, and I'm like interested and he catches my eye, like I can't, I can't shake it. Like I have to know. I have to know who he is where he's going, what he does, who he's fucking like, I got to know. I have to know. It becomes like a fixation. And usually I it usually ends in disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it usually ends in disappointment where I'm like, oh, what a douche. No, I'm just kidding. But it, it, but it's funny. It's, you know, now that I'm getting back, you know, into video and stuff, I've just been doing all this like this crazy. I don't know. It's like this self-awakening, I guess. And it's just drummed up all this stuff. But suddenly it's like all these things that didn't really make sense to me then. Didn't make sense to me when I was 18. Didn't make sense to me why the behaviors and stuff that I was doing when I was younger makes so much sense now. Like I get it. And I'm like, oh. And finally for once, instead of me constantly being in this uh, pendulum between shame and guilt Mm -hmm. because of my foundation with my girl schooling and my faith and Christianity and stuff. It actually has brought in this like awakening of self-acceptance and all this weight has just like fell off, you know, where I don't feel like it's not a burden anymore. I'm like, this is who I am and this is what I enjoy and I'm not going to fucking apologize for that anymore. You know, I'm not going to apologize for being hot. I'm not going to apologize for being sexy. I'm not going to apologize for liking sex. I'm not going to apologize because I love to give head. I'm not going to do it. There you go. <laughs> Fuck them, you know. You do you. Literally. <laughs> and um, it's been, you know, incredibly liberating, you know. Um, and it's also, and it's crazy to see, you know, because I did, I did the nursing school thing. I did the hair school thing. I started other businesses. I tried, uh, you know, I got married twice. I, you know, did the family thing and whatever. And I really wrote those things out to the best of my ability. You know, I graduated nursing school at the top of my class. Like, you know, I really hammered down on those things, but I always felt like there was almost like a void there. Like I wasn't being true to myself. And, um, and so now, you know, I'm very, very close to my mother-in-law. Um, my first husband, um, committed suicide. We have, I have an older son, he's nine. And, um, she has literally been the mom that I never had and she's a huge support and just my whole life and my son's lives and watching me on this hamster wheel for like 10 years, Mm -hmm. she's just always been like, God, Amy, I just wish you could get out of your own way. Just get out of your own way. And I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? That's good advice. (laughs) What do you mean? Like, you know, and so as I'm trying to, really, I mean, I really was trying because I was, I was dealing with all the shame and guilt from all this stuff over here. And then I, you know, and trying to make it make sense that 
I was starting these other businesses and I really was trying to make them work, but they weren't working because my heart wasn't in it. I didn't really want to do it, you know? And I couldn't figure out why, because I wanted, I wanted to, you know what I mean? I wanted to be able to live this vanilla life and for it all to kind of make sense because I had this concept of getting married and living happily ever after. And I would find this. And like, as soon as I found this guy that everything else in my life that was shitty would make sense. And like, you know, and obviously that was a fucking crap shoot. <laughs> and it didn't work that way. So I had, to, you know, once, you know, I did hair, I was doing that, went through a divorce last year. And, you know, I'm like, and, it, you know, I got a little glimmer of it when I my divorce was first happening because I was like, you know what? I can do whatever the fuck I want to do. Like, I can be anybody that I want to be. I don't have to make any excuses or explain shit to no one. Like, I put in my time. It didn't work. Let's rodeo on something else, you know? And I had this huge opportunity. But once again, I was still trying to ignore what you know I feel like you I feel like people like when we're younger you know a lot of people are like God, I just want to know what I'm supposed to be I want to know right what my my calling my is purpose. Yeah. my purpose mm -hmm. yeah and I feel like when we're younger even though even if we're not totally aware of it I feel like we get a glimmer of that like whether it's like an interest that you have when you're younger or something that sticks you know and then you build your whole life on the somewhere over here and it could be something that's like in the back of your mind that you never forget or you know something like that and when I was younger I always knew that I wanted to be like I said I wanted to be in Playboy I was like all about that like I want to do some kind of modeling and um whatever and so uh, when I was talking to my mother-in-law as COVID and stuff is happening I was like doing hair I owned a credit consulting business at the same time and it wasn't floating, partially because everything that's happened with COVID. And I was just kind of, it just felt like I was pulling water uphill, you know? I'm like, this is fucking going nowhere. Like, you know, and my mother-in-law and I had a conversation and she was just like, Amy, first of all, adult is what you know. And when your name comes up in conversation, that's how people know you, you know? And she's like, and you fucking, you just run from it. She's like, you're out here trying to be a fucking nurse. You're out here trying to be a hairstylist. You're out here trying to run a finance company. She's like, but your heart's not in it because that's not what you want to do. And you're trying to appease everybody else. And you're trying to ride outside the lines of this stigma that you feel that's attached to your back. She goes, but fuck them. Like, live your life. The only person taking care of you is you. The only person that has ever taken care of you is you. You know, and that was the big thing for me, you know, that I realized I'm like, there may be all these like weird things about the adult industry that people outside of the industry don't really understand. Mm -hmm. But for me, the industry was a huge survival thing for me. Like, I feel grateful that I found the industry because at the time that I found it, I don't know what could have, you know what I mean? I could have been anywhere. Anything could have happened to me. Like, obviously, I mean... <laughs> you know, like the situations I was finding myself in. And um, so going back to, you know, Crystal and I shooting photos with this guy in Santa Monica, this photographer, uh, we shot photos for him and he shot the photos over to Ben English, who um, is a big European actor. And he actually ran, um, he had just actually got started. So I was one of the first five girls with LA Dreck models. And at the time, he was also um, married to, I think they were married. They were together for a long time. I think they came from England over to California to shoot video together. But she was a pet, I think, uh, Hannah Harper. And she was big during that time. And so I was like one of the first five LA direct models. Now he's got, I don't know, 50 girls and 50 guys. Like he's the best known as like the best agent in LA. And um, I started working with LA Direct and then one thing after another just started to unfold. I started to meet people and I started to, um, I was shooting a lot for like anabolic, diabolic. Um, I remember, you know, when I first walked in and I met them, um, one of the first, uh, I think the first video I ever did was for Hustler. Yeah, I had known then. So I went from, so 
the girl that I was with that got me introduced to this photographer and ultimately we went to um, LA Direct together and she decided right out the gate, she was like, no, I'm not going to do it. Well, two days later, she ended up finding out she was pregnant by this like drug dealer boyfriend she had. And she decided that she was going to take off and do her own thing. And so it left me stranded again, you know, and I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? Because I need somewhere to live and I don't have any money. And I knew that um, Derek had a house of girls that we could stay there. So that's kind of how it all, that's like the very, the tip where like it, you know, everything got kind of like rolling. I think I was, I was roommates with Ava Devine, who's a big porn girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think she shoots anymore, but she was like, she was something else for sure. And Brooke Ballantyne, who actually people would confuse us as sisters a lot. We looked oh. very similar. Wow. Yeah. And um and who was the other girl i can't remember we kind of like circled through girls a lot and um yeah so then i started going so like when you are new to the industry basically you're toted around the valley with your agent and usually a couple other girls um and what they do is they basically parade you in and out of porn studios and let the director see you and you take your clothes off and you do a little spin and they're like, okay, what do you do? What do you not do? You know, whether, whatever that is. And, um, and then you start booking work. And so the first scene I ever shot was for anabolic. And I remember, you know, the first sex scene I ever saw, I was asked, like, do you think that you could, you would be able to do this? And I remember thinking, I'm like, fucking sex is easy. Like, I can fuck all day. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I can fuck all day. I've been fucking all day. You know what I mean? <laughs> For a while, <laughs> you know? I've got a fucking master's degree in this shit. <laughs> like, I put in the, I put in the time. And the thing is, is, but it was just comfortable. Like, I was just comfortable you know what I mean? Whereas like dancing was like a whole different arena for me. Sure. And I talk to dancers now that are like, oh my God, I can't believe you did porn. Like, how do you do that? And I'm like, dude, I'd rather do porn and strip all day long. Like stripping is just not. Now, as I got older, obviously, and I learned the ropes of the game and dancing and stuff, and it was different, sure. but it still was not a good environment for me. Like I was constantly drunk. Like I remember the owner at the rhino he actually put me in a minor bracelet so that i couldn't drink so because i would black out so much and i was like just a mess because i'd have to drink to calm my nerves so that i could talk to guys and because that's what's so and this is you know a very interesting dynamic to my personality because i'm actually quite shy still Mm -hmm. um in a lot of ways um and it comes out sometimes as like awkwardness like I'd rather some guy be like, hey, you know what? What's up? I want to fuck. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let's fuck. You know what I mean? That's easy, you know? (laughs) But this whole like cat and mouse thing, that's not not for me. And a lot of times I get um, where guys actually think I'm pretty cold, you know? Or like I'm stuck up or like whatever because of the fact that I'm just kind of introverted that way. Um, and which I know my friends, my good friend, friends and family are now listening to this. They're like, you fucking bitch, you are not introverted. You are not shy. But <laughs> I mask it really well. I really do. And I still like even even now being grown and having the history I have in porn and like whatever, like if I'm texting a guy and I'm like interested in him, like my hands get sweaty and I'm, I question myself, like, what am I going to say? And I remember like one of my girlfriends was like, this is so stupid. She's like you're a damn porn star for God's sakes. Tell him that you like to eat fucking tuna fish on fucking days where it's 120 degrees outside. He doesn't care to say anything. <laughs> like it doesn't matter. And I'm like, but that second guessing is just like a, I don't know. I think it's just who I am, you know, but at sure. the same point in time, once when I when I'm on like a porn set or wherever, that's where I am most comfortable like when the lights are on and the camera's on, I'm like, all right, let's fucking get it. And I fucking get it. And it's, it's just my spot. Like it's, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's, I thought, you know, I mean, I definitely had some scenes and stuff where I was like, oh shit. I mean, the male talent can be quite overwhelming, 
at times on <laughs> board. Right. But um, yeah, my first scene I ever shot was for, I think it was Diabolic. It might have been Anabolic. They were like a sister studio. And it was called Spring Chickens Number Five. <laughs> <laughs> you need to Google that one later. See yeah, find it. Spring, Spring Chickens, chickens number, five. number Five. And this is tr like the, this is so true. I'd never done anal in my entire life. Well, this is gonna sound so stupid. So I never done anal in my entire life, and I was I went on a set. Now keep in mind when I very first started video, I started doing video because I needed money. You know, that was the driving force. And I was actually just reading an article with my best friend Priscilla about um, Suze Randall, who's like, she was like the first female um, photographer for Hustler and Penthouse. And she is an incredible glam photographer and porn producer. And she's just done amazing things in the industry. Um, and, you know, she, when she got in, it was like unheard of for females to be like running things. And, you know, and she started out um, doing a couple girl girl things or whatever herself. And then she just had decided, um, you know, that it wasn't really for her. She found a love for photography. But in her interview, you know, I gave her a lot of, you know, respect because she was like, yeah, I did it for the money. Like, that's why I was doing it. You know, that's yeah. why we got involved in it. And that was absolutely the motivation for me when I started. And so I walked onto set and at the time, you know, there was a payment structure. And so like, if you do a regular boy girl scene, now keep in mind, this is 10, 15 years ago. So I don't know. I'm sure it hasn't gotten any better, but for a boy girl scene, just like standard sex, it'd be like 800 bucks. And then if you did anal or anything more extreme, it would go up from there. So a lot of times like a girl, girl scene would be like 600 boy girl penetration normal sex would be 800 anal would be a thousand up you know and then it would go up from there so i showed up to set and i was scheduled to do a boy girl scene and there was another girl on set and she was doing anal and they wrote our checks side by side and i could see that she was making more money than me mm. and i said why this is my first shoe ever and i'm like why is she making more money than me and they're like oh because she's doing an anal scene and I'm like, keep in mind, this is like $200. Like the difference is I was making 800 and she was making 1000 yeah. And I was like, well, I want to make 1000 And they're like, okay, well, then you have to do anal. And I'm like, but I've never done anal before. <laughs> and they're like, well. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And everybody, like the cameraman that was there, the director, everyone was kind of like bustling around for a minute. And as soon as I said, okay, everyone's jaw just hit the floor. And they were like, what? Like that? And I'm like, well, why not? Because <laughs> right? I had no fucking idea what I was getting myself into. I was just like chasing $200, like really? And so, and the, but the thing is, like I said, I grew up really poor. Like I grew up on welfare. I grew up on WIC and all those, you know, section eight housing and all this stuff. And I hadn't never had money like that in my hand, even a thousand dollars. I was like, holy shit. You know what I mean? That was a lot of money to me. Sure. And so, um, yeah. And so I ended up doing anal. So the thing is, is that when I got into the industry, everybody knew that I had just came out of this girl's school, like that I had only been out for not even a year. Like, I think I had been out for about six and a half months at this time, seven months. And so they knew, and I was very quiet, you know, I never was loaded on set, obviously, because I had, you know, this hang up with drugs. Mm -hmm. And I never drank And every single one of my videos ever that are out there, I was stone cold sober. And I make a joke now and I'm like, well, if there was drugs on set, I never saw them, but I think it's because I was so fucking awkward. People were like, didn't even want to like offer them to me. They're like, I don't even want to share my cocaine with you because you're fucking weird. So, um, but yeah, so, so now I've shot this anal scene, right? And I'm, and I'm not realizing that I just fucking opened a can of worms that you know, it wasn't going to just stay on that set. So all of a sudden word across the industry spread like wildfire that I was this Baptist girl and I just came out of school in Texas and I just basically did anal on my first scene ever. And it was the first anal I've ever had in my life. And so, um, when they found that out, people, I think I really only got booked for maybe one girl, girl scene my entire career because nobody wanted to shoot me for anything 
but hardcore after that. Wow. And, and I knew at the time too, like I, you know, we were talking about it earlier and I knew at the time that, you know, I wasn't, I was definitely young. I looked young, you know, and I was like super thick. I was like, came out of this boarding school and I knew that I wasn't the most attractive girl on set usually, but I also had a natural wiring for sex that these other girls didn't have, you know, and that became my calling card in the industry. And it was kind of like, like I met the opportunity as a challenge and I just decided that I was going to kick its ass no matter what. And I would just show up to set and that's what I would do. And so by like the third, fourth video I shot, they were like, dude, this chick is fucking wild. And I made a name for myself. And I mean, I was really only in the industry. If you collectively put it all together, I was really only in the industry shooting for a spotty two years. So I would shoot and then I would fall out and then I would shoot and then I'd fall out because I was just in this internal battle with myself, you know, mm -hmm. like the third time I went back, Derek was like, his from Derek K. Ben English was like, all right, Demi, I'm going to take you back on. But if you fucking ghost me again you're done, you know? And he was good to me. He really was. And I, and I would, and I would come in and I would shoot super hard and I'd fucking every day or a few times a week or whatever. And then I would have this fucking come to Jesus meeting and be like, I can't do this. I got to do something with my life. Like, you know, and I'm the biggest advocate now for like sex work is work. Like mm -hmm. I don't, you know, no one's going to fucking tell me that. Porn stars don't work. Strippers don't work. Escorts don't work. Like, you know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah. And then, so I was in the industry and then everything was wild. I remember the first night I ever met Jenna Jameson and I just like, it was so wild because, you know, when I got involved in porn, I had never even seen a porn. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah, I'd never even seen a porn. And when I agreed to do porn, I agreed on the basis of the money. And I really just thought that nobody would ever see it because I had never seen it. And I was naive. And I thought my perception of the world was the world, you know. And lo and behold, um, people did see it. Sure. And people still see it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And, um, but yeah, so I met Jenna Jameson. Um, I met, you know, at that time, this is like the vivid girls were still pretty big, the contract girls. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was a good time. I had a good time. It was fun. It was crazy. And then I don't know. So now I started to, I decided to take a break and I'm not even going to give him the fucking time of day to like say his name on here because I hope he hears this podcast and if you do you're a sorry motherfucker <laughs> and I got upset with my agent and I went outside the lines to find my own work and I fucked up and I got um involved with a director that's like totally into sadomasochism and he is a total piece of shit <laughs> and I agreed to shoot a video, not really understanding the basis of like what that was going to entail. And, uh, I know some of my fans that have been following my career, they've emailed me or found me in different platforms on, you know, social media over the years and have brought that scene up because they're like, God, it just made me so mad. Like we had seen you and all these, you know, other scenes and you were always, eager and like excited and like having a good time. And then all of a sudden like this came out and like, it was just trash, like, you know, and, and he did. And he, um, even at the time I shot the scene with Kurt Lockwood, who was, uh, what sucks is that I wanted to shoot, shoot with Kurt so bad. And then finally I got the opportunity and it was this, and we never worked again after that. But Kurt was like really trying to coach me through it because this was type of guy was just like this director. He was all about like getting in the girl's head and like breaking them down psychologically so that they wouldn't become upset. And like that's what got him off like while the scene was going on. And so Kurt was actually like kind of trying to coach me through it. And he was, you know, like, it's OK. Like, just get to don't let him, you know, see you upset. Just like get through it. But you know, I was a fucking baby, you know what right, I mean? Yeah. And I was dealing with all this other shit and, you know, dealing with, you know, my own internal demons and struggles, you know, at the time. And it just wore me down and it broke me and which is what he wanted. And I hate to admit that, but, um, 
I was just a little girl, you know what I mean? I was like 18 and like trying to figure shit out. And, um, but it really put a, that's the, probably the only time and the, that where the industry just had a super bad taste in my mouth. And I was like, you know what? Fuck this. Like, I don't want to do this, you know? And so I stopped and got out. And that was like my last scene I ever shot. So, and that was, and then he turned around and like me like crying and stuff and like blew up this fucking poster board that was like 150 feet or something fucking ridiculous. And it was like the whole side paneling of his booth at AVN the next year. Wow. I mean, just sobbing and like, ugh, it was just so humiliating. And that wasn't, that wasn't acting. That wasn't acting. Yeah, no. And um, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, there's some darker sides to the industry. Absolutely. I think that it's the nature of the beast, but for the most part, 98% of my experience in the industry was good. Yeah. It was good. I was always treated professionally. I was never mistreated. I always knew what I was going to do. I always gave consent. It was, you know, so, um, so yeah. And it really, you know, I respect the industry a lot. Cause like I said, it allowed me to take care of myself in a way that, or just take care of myself in general. You know, it gave me opportunity. It gave me money. Um, you know, and and for that, I'll, I, you know, I, I have a hard time like sitting in interviews and stuff where I know that people are digging because they're looking for me to validate how they feel about it or like their opinion about how it's not good and it contributes to sex trafficking and sure. all this, you know, and um, sex fucking sells, man. Like, you know, it does. And I, I really tried ambassador for sex trafficking on that, you know, realm mm -hmm. of things because there is a vast difference between children being sold into slavery for sex Absolutely, and yes. for women giving consent and just being exhibitionist and enjoying sex. I mean, that's two entirely different animals. For sure. And, you know, the porn industry makes anywhere between, I think, a realistic average anywhere between like, what, six to $15 billion a year. I've heard numbers like that. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I've read an article today that said there's some astronomical number, like 97 billion. Like. Oh. But it's hard to pinpoint it, you know what I mean? To But, I mean, people are, you know, people, it's just sex, you know? I don't know. It's not that big of a deal. It's not. Like, it's just not that big of a deal. So, but I understand, too, how people get kind of caught in their own, um, get caught in their heads about it, you know? Because we, especially in America, we when you grow up traditionally, it's like, okay, you're supposed to be with one man and one woman and you get married and you, you know, Right. That's it. And that works less than 50% of the time, right? Yeah, you know, the exactly, like, exactly. It doesn't work, always. Exactly. So, I don't know. It's been a wild ride. So, yeah, that's what happened. And then. All right, so talk a little bit about what you've got going on now. Uh, what, you're, what you're up to these days. So, um, for lack of a better reference, I kind of had a come to Jesus meeting. <laughs> with um just the business you know i had a credit consulting business that was geared in the foundation of like women empowerment and that came from me leaving my divorce and starting over and really just tapping into empowering myself to like take control of my life and my finances and get myself into a better situation and i knew that a lot of women were out there struggling with this i mean they're coming out of divorce or coming out of abusive i mean coming out of an abusive relationship is the hardest thing for a female to try and pick herself up out of not just from the financial aspect but from the emotional mental and um, when i did it it was um I'm fortunate that survival is just what I know. And that's where I shine. Like when shit gets fucking tough, that's just where I shine. And, um, and so I had that strength in my box, you know? And so when shit really started to hit the fan, um, I had days that were really low, but I also had fucking days where like, I got grit like a motherfucker and I'm like over my dead body. Am I going to quit? Like I didn't make it this far to quit, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I really started tossing around the, the situation that was going on with the credit consulting business. The COVID thing was popping off and 
we were struggling with mailing and stuff because mail is getting backed up and like we have clients that are waiting on, you know, credit histories and checks and stuff like that, that are coming from bureaus and stuff like that, where when we first started, it was like a 30 day mail out. And now we're looking at 45 days, 60 days, like it's just getting progressively worse. We obviously weren't in a position where I could go out and network very much because of all the regulations and everything with COVID. And once again, I just felt like it was like pulling water uphill. I'm like, what? This is not working right now. This is not the time to be trying to start a business. And so I just, I ended up, my mother-in-law had came to town and I was talking to her and I'm like, you know what? I'm so fucking sick of trying to make shit makes sense that doesn't make sense for me. Like it just doesn't. And I'm like, and I'm over here tripping about like how I'm going to make some business in some area of fucking business. I know nothing about (laughs) whether it's finance, you know, and granted, you know, I was putting the time in to like learn this stuff, but I'm like, this is just not what I know. Like adult is what I know. Dancing is what I know. Hustling is what I know. Modeling is what I know. Like this is what I know. Sex is what I know. Like this is what I know, you know? And so, um, I'm like, fuck it. Like I'm over it. I'm over trying to make, you know, this imaginary elephant in the room happy, you know, while I struggle, like trying to fit a fucking circle block in a square hole. I'm like, I'm done with this shit. Like this is who I am. This is what I enjoy doing. And so, you know, I have been asked over the years, multiple times, Amy, where's your OnlyFans? Amy, where's your OnlyFans? I'm like, I don't even know what fucking OnlyFans is. <laughs> like, I don't even know anymore because when I was done out of the industry, I was done. Like, and people even now, like one of my good friends, hey, Jesse, hit me up. And he asked me about this, uh, Nicole Aniston, right? And he's like, this porn star, she's so hot. Like, she's like the top porn star. And he's like, Nicole Aniston. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what that is. And he says, are you kidding me? And he like showed me and I'm like, wow, dude, she is really fucking hot. I'm like, I didn't know who she, cause I don't, I didn't keep up with it. You know, I just didn't. And so, um, but anyway, so then I decided I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to do only fans. I'm going to figure it out. And so I just totally switched gears completely. And I just, I threw a picture up on Facebook and I was like, yeah, I'm basically retracting my retirement in adult and, you know, this is what it is. And I'm going to put up an OnlyFans. And for the most part, my friends were like, fuck yes, finally, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like finally, like my friend Courtney, who's just like a total badass. She, I remember underneath, she commented underneath the post that I made and she goes, she's back. (laughs) Like, you know, and so, um, and it's cool. Like I said, I started the OnlyFans, which you guys can see. It's OnlyFans.com, the Amy Austin. And um, you can check it out. It has like exclusive hardcore content. Um, we'll be shooting girl-girl stuff, solo stuff. Um, pretty girl content goes up. I try to put stuff up daily, but if I don't, like every other day or, I mean, there's just like some of it's just like I was sitting in traffic driving down to Galveston a couple days ago and I was bored. So I took my tits out and took a picture and put it on there. So that's, you know, just silly stuff like that throughout the day. It's It's fun, you know? So, um, but yeah. And so that's it. And you know, the cool thing about OnlyFans is that for people that aren't familiar with the industry, when I was in the industry before, I don't have any rights to any of that material that I shot. So once I got cut that check, there's no royalties that I'm getting paid out every time they redistribute my scenes, which they're still doing. Um, They just came out with like three DVDs with my old scenes on it. So imagine that frustration, knowing they're still making money (laughs) off these scenes I shot 10, 15 years ago. But it got me, you know, where I got and I realized, I'm like, they're still making money off these fucking scenes because these scenes make money. That's why. Exactly. And so... I'm like, well, now it's time for me to make money, make money and make good money and make the money I should have made then, you know, had I had the guidance and the wisdom that I have now. And so I decided and I put up my OnlyFans and it's doing really well. It's building. It's a, you know, it's just a, you know, I think people are, some people are in a little bit of shock. They're like, oh shit, <laughs> you know, here she comes. Like, 
And so, but it's, um, but it's been good. I've, like I said, I had a huge uh, outpour of support and it's actually picked up a lot quicker than I expected it to. Cause I'm like, no one's even going to fucking remember who I am. Like this, I look totally different, I'm way older, mm-hmm. you know? And I know some people are like, aren't you a little old? And I'm like, fuck no, bitch. I'm in my prime. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's good. This is, you know, it's, it'll be good. I think it is good. It's already good. You know, mm-hmm. it's already good. And it's only it's been what a month or two? Not even a month. We're recording this. It's been, Not even a month. No. Uh, so I put I started my OnlyFans on my birthday, which was December sixteenth. Okay, so coming up on a month. Yeah, coming up on a month. A few days. When we're, when we're recording this. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. So, yeah, and if you all want, you know, I really, I, I, one thing I love about the interface of OnlyFans is that I'm actually able to interact with my fans. And um, it's cool because you guys can message me directly there. Um, I do try and check my messages every day and I try to message back everybody, you know, as you guys message me. Um, And you can message me for free on there. I don't charge, you know, some girls will make you, you know, charge or pay or tip them or whatever to talk to them. Um, But you can just message me directly on there and I will do my best to get back to you in a timely fashion. Um, or you can also email me at amy at amyaustin.com, which is also my website that will be going up soonish. Hopefully by the time anybody sees this podcast episode <laughs> or listens to it, we'll have that, that up and running. Yeah. It's amyaustin.com where you can go and check out some content and all the links to the social medias that we have. And yeah. It's exciting. You've got a lot going on. I do have a lot going on. I'm really excited and I'm super excited to be back in the industry. Like I said, this is, you know, having that um, awakening and realizing like this is my happy place and that's okay. And if no one else likes it, well, eat a dick. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know? Okay. So for the most part, across the social media channels, whether it's Twitter or Instagram, um, you can find me at the Amy Austin. And if you're watching on YouTube, thanks for tuning in. Please like and subscribe to the channel. And um, for the podcast, we are trying, we're going to aim for a weekly podcast to come out for you guys. But if you could follow, it'll give you updates every time we drop a new podcast for you so you don't miss it. And once again, I just want to say thank you so much to everyone that has been so supportive with me reigniting um this sex kitten situation that (laughs) has um really just allowed me so much opportunity and happiness just to live out my wildest fantasies and hopefully live out yours too and um yeah thank you so much and i can't wait to sit down with you guys again i'll talk to you soon i'm amy austin